You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. What we had spoken about as we were speaking about this, uh, this phrase of worshiping in spirit and truth. What is it to worship in spirit and truth? And we began to dive into that and understand that I cannot hope to worship in spirit if I deny truth. I cannot hope to, to worship in, in spirit if I die, deny truth. And we cannot hope to know truth if we deny the spirit. They're cohesive. They go together. They are not separated from one another. The spirit leads us into all truth. And a lot of the truth that he leads us into is about who we are individually. And that seems to be the truth that we reject the fastest and the most often is the truth that the spirit says about us to believe that I am who he says that I am. This is worship unto the Lord. Every time the Lord speaks over you and you say yes and amen to it, is that not worship unto God? It's absolutely worship. Is that not praise unto the Lord? I, I believe it's one of the most beautiful songs you could ever sing is to simply say yes. Yes to what he has. Yes for your life. That is music to his ears because it's his children stepping into all that they were ever created for and all that he has ever hoped for us. This is worship to the Lord. This is praise to God because it is, again, it's obedience. And we know that a life of worship is a life of obedience. It is a life that lives unto the Lord. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. This is worship. This is a life of worship. That's the way we live in a life of worship. And he has sent his son to us so that we could know him and be united with him again in all things, including being united with him in identity, being united with him in who you are and who you are in him. He desires for that unity. And I cannot fully worship God I cannot fully praise him. I cannot fully experience him in my life if I don't first receive the things that he speaks over me. And those first words to receive, um, that he is who he says he is. And then the next is that I am who he says I am. If you can't get past that, there's no hope to receive anything else. That's the foundational truth, that God is who he says he is and I am who he says that I am. If we can't grasp that and receive that, I mean, that is at its base, the foundation, the very first moment of salvation. What are we experiencing? We're experiencing that God has said he's good and now I'm encountering that he's good. I'm experiencing, he has said that I'm a son and now I'm encountering that I am, a, I am indeed a son. That's at the very basis that he is who he says he is and I am who he says that I am. And if I can't receive that, there is no hope to worship in spirit and truth because in that place I have denied the very basis, the very foundation of truth and spirit. Those are the first words that we are to receive. Now, getting started in today, just flowing with this. Look at, we'll turn to, we'll start in Matthew 3 and we'll be in verse 13. Matthew 3, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? 
But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now we've read this passage time and time again, and I'll, I'll be honest, this was a, uh, this lesson came out of a profound conversation that I had with Randy uh, Winfrey uh, this last week. We got, we finally found some availability in our schedules to get together and have lunch together. And uh, it's a good thing we found availability because we nearly closed the place down. We started at lunch and we were finishing around dinner. It was wonderful. And we talked about a lot of deep and profound things. And there was a perspective because it's funny the unity and the spirit that exists even in Lubbock, what the Lord is doing here, it's funny because the Lord had been teaching Randy about praise as well. That's what we've been talking about extensively here is praise. Praise is a fruit of relationship. We know that. Praise is a fruit of relationship. And Randy had a perspective, a, a fresh perspective, a different perspective that I hadn't considered and it was profound. And that's what we're going to get into tonight. But in Matthew 3, 13 through 17, before Jesus begins his ministry, he must receive identity. This is important. We blow past this very quickly. But what is the first thing that the Lord does after Jesus is baptized? He speaks to who he is. The very first thing he does is speak to his identity. And what, is the, what does Jesus then have to offer Satan in response to the temptation that he brings? It, it's a response that comes from a place of knowing who he is. Knowing exactly who he is and whose he is. Identity, the, the, the foundational thing that sets Jesus on solid rock before he enters the the 40 days and 40 nights, and then temptation after that. He must receive first identity. My beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And this is an identity statement. And Jesus hasn't even begun. He's simply been obedient to baptism, but the father is pleased with him. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. But we often, we look at this as an action-based response. We look that the response, the statement that God speaks is only because of the step of obedience that Jesus takes. I want to examine that a little bit closer tonight. <clears throat> Please, because of obedience. And obviously, when we're obedient, it blesses the Lord. It pleases his heart. He desires for us to be obedient because we're made for him, right? So the things that he is asking us to do are the things that have been in his heart for us since the beginning of time. Things that he, he made us for with these moments in mind. So it's, it's doing exact, I mean, it's, it's getting, a, it's when a kid gets a new toy and they don't read the instructions, a remote control car is not gonna work really well in the pool, right? Read the instructions, be obedient to what they say because it, it is a guide for the life that that toy is meant to have. We're the same. 
We have, we have instruction. We have a guide on the life that we're meant for. And that's in the presence of the Lord and obedient to his will. We're vessels that are meant to carry this presence and do and be the hands and feet of this presence of God, this living and active presence of God. We're meant to be these things. And so to remove ourselves from that is to remove everything you're made for. You go against, you're going against the grain in every way, shape, form, and fashion. All that's left there is turmoil, strife, and difficulty to go against that which you're made to do. Not because the Lord is punishing you or setting things in your path to make your life harder. You've simply stepped out of the will of God. If the will of God is this backyard, I'm safe in the backyard. There's freedom in the backyard. But if on the other side of the fence is a highway and I choose to leave the backyard, I'm going to have a harder time having fun and having freedom when there's cars going by me at 80 miles an hour, right? It's more dangerous because I'm not meant to exist over there, right? This is the will of God. And so obviously, all that to say, obviously the Lord is well pleased, incredibly pleased. It blesses his heart when his children are obedient. But before my children, just speaking as a father, so much of scripture so much of our relationship with the Lord transforms to a new degree of understanding the second you have kids. Because you get it differently. I get a father and son deal. I get it because I have sons. I have daughters. I understand this differently now than I did before. It's a beautiful blessing. But before my children ever did anything in obedience to me, before they learned what it was, I was pleased with them. The moment I held them in my arms for the first time in that hospital, I was pleased beyond words, beyond measure, pleased with my child. They could do no wrong. Even even in and I find it now, even in the moments where they are doing wrong. My, I'm, I'm no less pleased with them. Because what is it rooted in? It was never rooted in action. It was always rooted in who they were. They're mine. That's my kid. I'm pleased with my kid. Of course, I love when my sons do things in obedience to me, especially when I don't even have to ask them to do it. It blesses my heart. But if they didn't, would it change how I felt about them? Exactly. And that's what I'm pointing to. They're my kids. They are mine. My pleasure and love comes because of who they are, not what they do. So too it is with our heavenly father. And like we've been talking about over the last few weeks in discussing praise, praise is a fruit of relationship. Praise aligns our hearts with his. It positions us to receive revelation, blessing and fresh outpouring. When we worship unto the Lord, it allows us to set our minds on heavenly things in heavenly places, to see things as we should. That's why if you are in a difficult circumstance, one of the best things that you can do is put on music or however you praise the Lord and begin to praise the Lord. Because what it does, Jay said this a couple of weeks ago, if I look at the circumstance, the worldly issues that I face, hoping to find a heavenly solution in them, I'll never find the heavenly solution. Worldly problems are only met with heavenly solutions when the people of God are looking to heaven for the solutions. My eyes must be fixed up there. The world, if you've got a problem, what do you do? You hyper-focus on the problem till you fix it. In heaven, what do you do? If you've got a problem, you look to the Lord for the provision. 
That's what we do, right? Our eyes fixed on the Lord. So in circumstances, I'm sure everyone can attest to this, in circumstances of great difficulty, praise unto the Lord aligns our hearts with His. It, it centers our mind around the things that matter. It allows us to focus on what He's doing around us that the circumstance is not dictating to us our days, right? It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful design of praise. But what is held within these things that we find ourselves aligned with, what, what is held within the revelation? What is held within the blessing? What is held within the outpouring? We're going to look at that question this evening. And before we can answer this, we need to understand a few things first. The first thing that we need to understand, and we've talked about this before, and if you want to go ahead and turn to Hebrews 6, that's where we'll be next. Um, but we are not in a relationship of reciprocity. What that is, it's a big word for basically you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. That is not our relationship with the Lord. That is, but we, it is, just think of what that means. And we're going to dive into that a little bit. A reciprocity based relationship. There are so many churches that operate with that mentality. That I've got to do if I want to receive. I've got to, I've got to, I've got to do all this. I've got to check off the list if I want to get into those pearly gates. Right? There's something required of me. The only thing that was required of you was to say yes. Right? That's the only thing. Only thing. We're not in a relationship of reciprocity. It's not give and take. Hebrews 6 uh, verse 13 says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, becoming, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This can't be a relationship based on reciprocity because we were invited into a covenant that the father made with himself. So right off the bat, we are invited into a covenant where the expectation for us is not. We've got to recognize that he was going to make a covenant with Abraham. And what did he do? He allowed a deep sleep to fall upon him that he could make the covenant on Abraham's behalf with himself. Two unchangeable, two unchangeable beings. God with himself. So we've been invited into a covenant where the Lord has made it with himself. But yet we have this expectation of working, of doing, of being these things. And what it does, 
is it, it changes this, this, it changes our thinking from being blessed because of who I am to being blessed because of what I do. And, and we've talked about that time and time again. Action in our lives, obedience in our lives is to come from a place of love and relationship, not of fear to a master. The second I think I have to earn anything from him, that I have to earn this place in heaven, I have to earn my identity, I become a slave serving a master. Fighting to just keep what little bit I have. Then I'm not kicked out. Sold at the next market. That is not the relationship we're in. But if I exist in this relationship of reciprocity, that's the results I get. That it is based on my actions and my actions alone will justify me. But what does James say? Faith produces works. Show me, show me works without faith. And I'll show you faith by my works. You said it a while ago. The things that we do, the, the obedience that we offer to God mm-hmm. is done out of love. Yeah. All of it. Yeah. Right. I would, would I not rather my sons be obedient to the standard I've set for them because they love me or because they fear me? I don't want that. I don't want that. I had a little brother growing up. I still have a little brother. And I was a horrible big brother. Selfish and not very nice because I was so incredibly selfish. And for the longest time as an adult, I would be next to him. I could lift up my hands and he would flinch. And it was kind of funny at first. But then I started to realize, oh my gosh, you, you suck, Parker. What in the world? Because I, he had a relationship for the longest time based on fear, not on love. I'm thankful to say that that is not our relationship now. But it showed me a lot about being a dad. Like, no, I won't do that with my kids. I, I don't want them. And my dad had the same kind of relationship with his father. He could just reach at the table and they, were, they all flinched. That's no, I want a relationship based out of love, not out of fear. And it's the same that the Lord has for us. If that's what we want, imperfect beings, how much more is it from a perfect father? How much more is it from a perfect father? Action in our lives, obedience in our lives is to come from a place of love and relationship, not because we need to earn anything. You are who you are and nothing you do changes that in the heart of God. More Christians need to believe that. I think a lot of Christians have heard it, but I don't know that a lot of Christians believe it. There is nothing you can do that will change who you are in the heart of God. That was determined before you breathed your first breath. So how can you living and existing change what has always been in the heart of God? You can't. It has existed before the dawn of time. You have existed in him. And he has existed. He, 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 his love has existed for you far beyond your first breath and who you were has always been and will always be. Whether you believe it or not, the truth is the truth. And nothing we do changes that. This is not, again, a master to slave relationship where we are bound to worship, bound to praise, no destiny and purpose, just bondage, just just serving a master. 
But at the end of the day, we must remember again that we are made for him, but we are not slaves to him. There's a difference. I am made for God. He made me to be a vessel. What did we read two weeks ago in church? Your bot, do you not know that your body is a temple for the presence of God? That's why you exist. To carry the living and active presence of the creator of all things with you into, into new places, into beautiful things. Romans 8, 15 says, and we've, we've read this tons of times, but verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We are his children. We are meant to have relationship with him as our father. But if we praise him from a place of, I have to, I have to praise God. It's a requirement. Then we are missing the point of praise and we are praising from a place of bondage. And that is not praise. That is not a sacrifice of praise that the Lord desires. Because you do it out of fear of what happens if you don't. That is not the design. That is not the desire. And how many know, we all know this, that God needs nothing from us. That's an important lesson. It's a humbling lesson. God doesn't need me. He wants me. But he does not need me. He loves when I offer praise to him. But does he need my praise? No. I think he's pretty secure in who he is. He doesn't need my praise as validation. He doesn't need my praise. I offer it to him because I love him, right? Offer it to him because I love him, not because I have to. If I exist in this, I have to. That means there's a deficiency on God's end as well. If I have to praise him, every God besides the one true God requires praise. They, you have to praise us because they're weak without it. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They exist in the mind of people, right? Uh, and it is funny because every, 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 uh, movie with, with gods in it, they fade as people fade in worship to them. As their numbers dwindle, so does their power and authority. That doesn't exist with our God because he is the one true God. He doesn't need anything from me. Santa Claus. So, what? You're going to elaborate. It's like Santa Claus. They, Santa Claus needs the Christmas Yes. Yeah, every Tim Allen Santa Claus movie, right? Got to get the spirit of Christmas up where he loses his magic, right? This is, not, this is not our God. If we don't meet and have at least 50 people singing praises to him on a Sunday, he's just going to poof, disappear and be powerless. This is not the God that we serve because, and praise God for that. He doesn't need anything from me. And that means everything gets to be a response that comes from a place of relationship. I offer him praise because I love him. I love who he is and I love what he's done for me, who, what he's called me into. It's an offering of praise. Again, an offering of praise because I love him. God needs nothing from us. And what parent needs the validation of their child? 
If you need the validation of your child, you're in trouble. Because there are days that they'll give it and there are days that they are going to suck it away from you as quickly as they can. I don't know how many times I would hear in, in my household growing up. And now my, my parents said no. They didn't say no a lot, but they said no enough for us to understand we don't get to do whatever the heck we want to. Like most of our friends, we lived in a big city. It was horrible, hated it. Went to school with, I, I, in my graduating class, I had 1,500 kids. In my graduating class alone. My school was a half mile long from end to end. Dumb, ridiculous. I can't, no way, no way. I wish I had known about places like Sundown. But, so I had a lot of friends that really just got to do whatever the heck they wanted to. And my parents would say no to us, enough for us to understand that we don't get to do that. And we can't, they worked. They were real, they, I mean, they worked, right? We lived for a long time, paycheck to paycheck. So they couldn't just send me with money to go to Taco Bell because all my friends were there. No, your mom had food on the table. This is where you're eating. Things like that. And I'm grateful for that. But I would hear and I would say, you guys suck. Why won't you ever let me have any fun? Ugh. Why do you hate me? Right? Stupid stuff like that from a dramatic kid. Right? We all did it. And I had two sisters, so you can, you bet it was on. Right? And they're both like my mother, so it was even more intense. But my parent, that never swayed my parents because they did not depend on our validation towards them to do the job that they knew they had to do. And I don't wake up every day unable to parent my children until they pay me a compliment about being a good dad. Because I don't, my parenting to them is not based on their validation of me. And so too it is with the Lord. He is our dad no matter what. So in that, in that parent to child relationship, who do we think needs the praise? Him or us? Him or us? Right. Him or us. If I, if I come to my child, and, and which one of us in here will withhold an opportunity to praise our children? If I see it, I take it. Any moment of any day, because there's a lot that would seek to speak against them. So any opportunity I have to praise my children, I'm going to do it. And we could sit here and talk for hours about how cool my kids are. I'll do it. I'll praise my child because... They need to hear that from their dad. They need, they need that validation because it is solidifying them into who they are and who they're called to be. We are absolutely made to praise God, but we are also made to receive praise from him. And this is the revelation that Randy is coming into. He sent me a text a couple days ago and I, he won't mind me sharing this, but he just, he just said, I've, I've been thinking about you a lot and I just need to let you know that I'm proud of you. And more than that, I need you to know that the Holy Spirit has told me how proud he is of you. And I'm not, I'm not trying to brag in this, but I'm telling you right now, Randy being proud of me, it's awesome. But the Holy Spirit telling Randy how proud he is of me, I'm like, heck yeah, ding, ding, ding. I'll take that every single time. 
I'll take that validation from my heavenly father. It's good. Just as it is for us boys, when my dad would pay me a compliment or praise me for a job well done or my grandfather, I was on a different planet. I was elevated higher than ever. I got to have one of these moments with Liam. He's, he is a perfectionist and uh, we're working on right now, buddy, you're not perfect, so you don't produce perfect. Just accept it now. Don't be like your dad in his 30s that's still trying to learn that lesson. Right? You are not perfect. So what you do will never be perfect. It can be good and you can do it with the best of your ability, but it will not be perfect. And we're working on, we're working on pitching. Pitching's tough for a seven-year-old, right? It's really tough. And what I've found is just those moments where we're just playing catch. Just, uh, that, was, that was a good throw. Good catch, good throw. And all of a sudden, you know what ends up happening? He ends up getting better, right? With each compliment, each moment of validation, he increases in his ability. But the second I say, yeesh, that was really bad. What do you think that next pitch is going to be? It's going to be bad. Because that validation from his father influences everything about his world. Because he desperately desires it. And we as children, we need this from our heavenly father. And he desires to give it. We in the church are not very good. At, we, are, we are really good at, at praising God and, and, and giving the Lord compliments and saying wonderful things about him. But if he sets you in his lap, what would he say to you? We're like, oh, it would not be pretty. No, he would say wonderful and amazing things. Randy gave us this example time and time and time again with deliverance. If, you, if any of you put your kid, your grandkid in your lap, how many of you are going to begin to belittle them? Not a one of us. We're going to speak good and wonderful things over them. Why is that so hard for us to get to this place that the Lord desires to do the same thing to us as adults? Even now, I'm still his son. I'm still his little boy. And he desires to speak good things over me. But those seem to be the things that I refuse to receive from him. And we, I, this is a taboo topic. There's a lot of churches I couldn't bring this message in. Be heresy. Blasphemy. I'm not saying we're equal with God. I'm saying he's my father and I'm his son and he loves me perfectly. And you're saying within that, he's not going to speak good things over me. He's not in a moment where I'm struggling and say, hey, I am, I am proud of you. Why is that hard for us to wrap our minds around? Why is it hard for us to receive praise from the father? We'll give it to him, but we won't receive it from him. And it's a profound day when we, the children of God, are willing to receive the praise that the Father has for us. To speak kind things to his children and then receive it. And do you not think that that is worship unto him? Do you not think that that blesses his heart when his children hears, his children are listening to his voice and receive the words that he speaks? And allows it to shape their today, tomorrow and forever. I'm telling you right now, we're dealing, with, we're dealing with lots of things in this community, in the world right now. And this church, since the pandemic, has not, it has not been an easy road to hoe, right? It's been tough. 
A lot of days, a lot of Sundays, just really, really not fun. Very difficult. But I'm telling you right now, the Lord's saying one time that I'm proud of you. I can go. I can keep going for a lot longer. Right? So why? Why not receive that from him on a regular basis? This perfect father speaking to his child. That is who you are. Don't get too big for your britches. You may grow up here on this earth, but to him, you are still his little kid. Little kid. You are still his baby boy, baby girl, period. It don't matter how old you are, how, many, how, how big a mustache you got, right? It don't matter. You're still his little boy. And he still wants to speak good things to us. He wants to speak good things over us. John 16, 13. The spirit will lead us into all truth. And that includes who we are. That includes praise from our father over us. Like this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Before Jesus's ministry began, he spoke to who he was and he spoke of his pleasure over him. He praised Jesus before Jesus had done anything. He was simply obedient to baptism. And do you think he was pleased with his son only because of the baptism? No. That was his son with whom he was well pleased far before that. That's just the moment where he spoke it. But his pleasure with Jesus didn't start after the baptism. It existed before. And it is profound to me to see before Jesus began anything, the Lord praised him, spoke of who he was. Before a single miracle, before, us, before he fasted, before he was tempted by the devil, before he gathered his disciples, the Lord said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. That's important for us to hear, especially for men, that it is not your action that justifies his love for you. Right? We as men in our society, we are only valued based on what we can or cannot do in our world. That is where men find value. What you can and cannot provide will determine your worth. That is not who we are in the eyes of the Lord. And it's the, it's the same with women in a little bit different way. And I don't know it as well because I'm not one of, I'm not a woman. So I'm not going to sit here and explain what it is for them. But just knowing my, my own wife and, and the world that she's lived in, uh, there's kind of two facets. You are... You are a better woman if you refuse children and, and pursue a career, right? A woman that has kids and stays at home with her children is now looked down, looked down heavily in our society based on that action alone of bringing life into the world. Our society views you as less than. Dumbest thing in the world. You grew a person and then fed a person with the same body. I think that's profound. Right? Why has that become less than because they make six figures at a Ford 500 company? That, I mean, anybody can do that. I can't make a baby. Not by myself. Doesn't work. So we have in this society, we have standards of the world that look to belittle us based on the things we do or do not do. 
And it's important for us to see the kingdom paradigm in this, that it is not based on anything that we do. It is solely based on who we are. And that has been determined by him. Not by anything you do, not by anything you say, not by anything you believe. Who you are is set in stone. Whether you receive it or not, it is in the heart of God and it it will not change. And he loves you before you did anything. And he was pleased with you before you did anything. It's important. It's a a wonderful part of relationship to praise the Lord because it is a fruit of my time with him. It is an expression of my love towards him. But he also desires to express his love towards us. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.